Hello and welcome to another episode of This Expat Life. I'm your host, Amanda Maxime, and today I have a very, very special guest in the online studio. His name is Kees van Rij, and Kees is a former ambassador from the Netherlands. And having lived abroad for, um, for most of his youth, educated in Dutch and French, and later trained as an historian, Kees opted for a career as a diplomat for the Netherlands. And most of his international professional work focused on European-related issues, with postings in The Hague, Brussels, where he was twice, Greece, Spain and Turkey, as well as Korea, Peru and Brazil. And this is where I met Kees. As a diplomatic advisor of the European Union, he was involved in various complicated negotiations in crises between the EU and Russia, and not the current one, but the one in 2000 and 2005. He learned how unpredictable foreign policy often is and how difficult it can be to find acceptable outcomes. As a negotiator, he learned the importance to understand what moves the other side in order to get to a solution, as well as keep those who try to overburden you with precise instructions at the home office at some distance while knowing one's red lines. And moving with his wife and children every three to four years was both exciting and challenging. And this is something that we will also talk about in this interview. And Case and I worked together at the Dutch Embassy in Brasilia, where Case was the ambassador and I was a junior diplomat. But when there was a lot of upheaval about deforestation and the Amazon being on fire during the Bolsonaro administration, Case and I worked closely together to inform the ministry, engage stakeholders and find ways to leverage our influence as the Netherlands. And this is when I learned so much from him. And this is also why I'm very, very honored to have him on the show. Welcome, Case. Good morning. Good to see you again. <laughs> Hi. Hi, good to see you. Where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm sitting in my office, um, uh, study, uh, because I'm retired. So no office, but study. <laughs> <laughs> and, and where is the uh, study? With the, my, my study is in, in my house in The Hague. And... Uh, it's raining outside and I'm uh, sitting in front of my uh, my window. I'm relaxed. I, uh, I usually sit here in the morning to uh, to check news and to do my emails and things like that. So it's a, it's a comfortable place for me to be. Nice. It looks very nice. And uh, yes, it's a very gloomy day today. It's raining a lot. Quite different from the days that we had in Brasilia, where the sun was often shining. So uh, that's also difficult about returning home. Absolutely. Actually, Brazil was a country without seasons, at least Brasilia was without seasons. You had either humid or very dry, remember? Exactly. Same temperature. Yeah. So uh, and here, of course, we have four seasons and uh, and the seasons are more and more uh, visible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although today it looks like autumn, uh, even though it's uh, it's summer. Yep. But um, Case, I'm before we start to talk about your uh, previous expat life and what you did uh, during your career at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I'm really curious. Well, actually, I know it already, but I know most of my listeners are very curious about what does an ambassador exactly do? Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, well, uh, that's a, it's a good question. And it's a very obvious question because it's not always very well known what diplomats do, but certainly also what uh, ambassadors do. Well, an ambassador is the official representative of the government of country A to country B. So um, you have a system uh, in international relations where uh, relations between countries exist, 
very often through treaties or multilateral agreements like the United Nations, or European Union or NATO or other regional uh, formats. And uh, in that international structure, and that's already for hundreds of years uh, the case, uh, countries have representatives of their governments in the other country. Um, and uh, so an ambassador, uh, first of all, he represents his head of state or his government in the other country. So all the official relations, all the official communications, um, uh, he is the liaison, he is the person who uh, explains, who uh, translates uh, the uh, the instructions from his government to the other government, requests, uh, things to promote, things maybe to, uh, to, to deviate in another direction, to influence uh, in a way that is uh, convenient to the country that he represents. So that is the first part. The second part is that um, the uh, ambassador is responsible for the embassy. The embassy is composed of... Uh, of other diplomats coming from the country uh, that he represents, in my case, in our case, the Netherlands, uh, as well as uh, local staff, because the most embassies are heavily dependent also on good quality people from the country itself who do all kinds of jobs within the embassy. And uh, a very important uh, responsibility of an ambassador is to look after the well-being of the compatriots in uh, a given country. That is, in my case, uh, I also had the oversight over um, the Dutch community in several countries, which means uh, passports, which means uh, if there are complications with the government in question, how can we help? Uh, can we give advice on lawyers, for instance, if there is a litigation issue? Um, if there are major accidents, can we help? course there are all kinds of private organizations such as uh, tourist assistance and all that but very often uh, embassies and that is of course the ambassador in the first place uh, play an important role there and then you have for instance um, uh, Dutch uh, Dutch people being uh, traders and merchants very often uh, you also help Dutch business to um, to find the right entries and if there are problems you can help them you can give them introductions and so on to, uh, to conduct uh, business, uh, both sides, uh, from country A to country B and the other way. Um, uh, so that th those are a few important uh, issues. And then you have uh, all kinds of, um, I would say, important issues, international important issues. For instance, uh, the discussion on migration, the discussion on climate, uh, the discussion you already mentioned that the uh, deforestation issue in the Amazon, which is a concrete issue in the case of, of Brazil and Latin American countries. What can we do to work together with, uh, with the government of Brazil, for instance? Can we help with technical solutions in order to, uh, to protect the, the, the forests um, better? Um, of course, the government in question, Brazil, was responsible for that. It's their, it's their territory, after all. But uh, international cooperation very often is important to, uh, uh, to bring that to, uh, to an even higher standard, uh, always at the request of the country in question, of course. Uh, this is not something you impose, but you try to find common, common ground. 
And the Netherlands doesn't do that alone. As an ambassador, I didn't do that on my own. Uh, first of all, I did it with a team in the embassy, of course. Uh, you, you were very much involved in it uh, at the time. But also you look for uh, other like-minded uh, countries to work together, for instance, with countries of, uh, of, of Europe, uh, European Union countries or other countries, to, to see with the government of Brazil in this particular case, to, uh, where can we help? What can we do? to um, to move towards a, a more comprehensive and more acceptable uh, situation in terms of uh, of cooperation in climate issues for instance so you 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 work on those issues now there are uh, countries where for instance the um uh, the consular uh, issues are very important uh, consular issues relate to everything that has to do with the dutch communities uh, overseas so it's your your compatriots that sometimes need help or that have specific issues. And there, for instance, uh, when I was ambassador in Spain, this was a huge issue because we had hundreds of thousands of Dutch people uh, living there in Spain, looking for the sun, understandably. And uh, in summer, uh, sometimes millions. Um, and there are always issues. So you, you try to help, you have honorary consuls uh, all over the coast to uh, to assist when there are specific issues that can talk to the authorities that can help uh, to solve uh, problems uh, same thing uh, was also true for uh, for Greece uh, where um, very often you had uh, issues in, uh, in during summer with youngsters who uh, well who, who drank too much for instance or you know things like that um, and then uh, try to to solve issues of always uh, accepting and respecting, of course, the rule of law of the country in question. So it's, a, it's a, a, a continuous balancing act between uh, the ambassador and his staff and, of course, the country in which he operates. Because you do not operate in your own country. You have to accept the rules and habits and customs of the other, question, of the other country. So that requires flexibility, it requires balance, it requires respect for things that may be different and maybe you don't agree with. Yeah. So this, I think, a few, uh, a few points of attention yeah. when it comes to what an ambassador does. It almost, almost makes me want to go back to the ministry, <laughs> your introduction. So uh, just uh, one quick question about this is, is it anything similar to The Diplomat, the series on Netflix? Uh, that's a good uh, a good question because I looked at that, of course, with a lot of interest, and I think mm -hmm. uh, many people with our background uh, who have worked in diplomacy um, uh, looked at that series uh, with great interest. Now, um, I would say that uh, it's it has very little to do uh, the series, the diplomat, very little to do with what re what diplomats really do. Um, uh, diplomacy is not 24 hours a day exciting. Uh, there are moments that are extremely exciting and extremely, uh, you know, you're at your edge. But most of the time, um, you know, you, you have to operate in, and, and be patient because things don't always work the way you want. Uh, so uh, when I look at a series like The Diplomat where all the time there is action and all the time it's at the highest level of international tensions and all that, that's simply not true. There are situations, of course, where this happens. 
But I have learned from, from a very uh, experienced uh, ambassador who died a long, long time ago, but he, who once told us, my, uh, my group of young diplomats, when I arrived at the ministry in the early 80s, uh, who said to us, um, being a diplomat is uh, not an extremely difficult job. Uh, of course, you need the right character and all that, but and, and you have to have your your ac academic formation or uh, right education. But apart from that, it's not uh, you know it's not like uh, a, a rocket science uh, specialist who uh, who is uh, uh, a triple A uh, academic at the University of X. Um, no, uh, you have to have a clear mind. You have to be able to take clear choices. Uh, but the only problem is that certainly when you are far away representing your country in a country, uh, you know, it's also because of the time difference, uh, you are sometimes uh, confronted with a situation and you cannot check this with your with your home office uh, yeah. back in the night. You have to take the decision on the spot. The problem is that nobody ever tells you when that moment is. So it's about five minutes per month. You you will meet something completely unexpected and you are the one who has to solve it. And you cannot phone to the ministry. You have no communication because it has to be done now. And that is, of course, something that uh, is sometimes forgotten, that you are, it's a job that you are uh, active 24 hours a day. So, it, of course, you have a private life, but you always have to be sharp uh, because unexpected things can happen that you have to solve. Yeah. So uh, in the diplomat, this 24 hour, this five minutes every 24 hours is 24 hours all the time. And that yeah. is simply not true. So that's one thing. The second thing is that I saw the the protagonist, the the uh, the lady uh, ambassador of the United States, walk in and out of the foreign office in London as if it's her, her own turf. And that yeah. simply is true, because even the ambassador of the United States has to be announced and cannot just walk into the office of the foreign minister, who in that series always appears to do nothing. Uh, he's always there to receive her. And that's simply not true. Yeah. The one one detail that I think was very, very well done, and that has to do with um, an important part of our work as diplomats, that is to gather information, because you are not the one, no, here in The Hague, other diplomats come to the ministry and they ask for information. But when you are outside somewhere far away, you are the one who has to get information because it's all about information in order to take decisions or give advice and so on. So what you have is um, a situation whereby um, you, uh, you go to these cocktail parties, you go to these national day receptions, you go to dinners, you go to lunches, you go to breakfasts. Um, and um, uh, this is to, to gather information. Now, most of that, of course, is done in, in the form of, uh, of uh, drinks in the evening, uh, cocktail parties, things like that. And many outsiders think, aha, that's where these diplomats go and they drink champagne and uh, they have a good time and uh, they get drunk and they eat too much and uh, always fantastic this and that. But that's really not true. The real life is that you go there as a diplomat, you go there to gather information. So before I go to a reception with my wife, usually, uh, we say, okay, I have to see uh, A, B and C because the thing I want to raise with that person 
you know, a politician or a parliamentarian or a civil servant in a given country. Um, it's, it's not enough to go and ask for a, a formal appointment in his office because it's, you know, it's, it's an issue that can be done very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you moment and you meet that person at the reception and you talk to A, B and C and you go away because that's the way I do it. And sometimes I have a second reception, right? And you go there again and you have two or three people in mind that you would like to say something to or you want to to uh, to solve an issue. Now, if you go to these receptions, and this is the link with the diplomat, is that, uh, and that's very well done because every time we went to a reception, we, we were having our a light meal back home, uh, drink uh, some water or tea, go to the reception and do not eat and maybe drink a non-alcoholic beverage. Mm-hmm. And then you go home again and then you, you eat properly or you have a little bit more to eat. Because eating at this reception and with, with all, all respect to, to national days and uh, the fantastic cuisine of um, all the countries that are represented in a given country, uh, you all, it, it's always too much. And if you do this two, three times an evening, after a few years, you have put on many, many kilos, which is not yeah. very hard. Yeah. And that in the diplomat is very well done because at a given moment, she said, ah, do we have to go to that national day? And then the husband, the, the partner of the ambassador says, let's do that, but let's first eat. And yeah. right. So that's something in the research they've done very well because I yeah. think all diplomats know how to, to do that. So you see in that series that sometimes it's completely uh, exaggerated and, um, you know, pr- flying in private jets and, and, and things like that. It's completely uh, uh, crazy. Um, uh, but some details are very well done. And this is one of those yeah. details that's, that they did the research properly. Yeah. So that would be my, uh, my short comment on that. that <laughs> But to uh, to the second sequence. Yeah, nice. Thank you. And actually, you t- you touch upon something interesting because I know from your work that you sometimes have receptions three times in a week, and I can imagine if you've been working all day. I'm speaking from my own uh, experience, but I am not an extrovert. So for me, when I spend the whole day working with colleagues, and then I also have to go to one or two receptions in the evening, I'm exhausted afterwards. And because it's a lot of contact with people, a lot of chit chats. And I can imagine that for you, you can't really not go. You have to be there at your position. But it means you're always on. You're always working. Like you said, you work work 24-7. There can always come like this moment with the five minutes. You have to take a decision on the spot. But it's also about those things that you really always have to be present. You have to be on. You have to be polite. You have to be interesting. You You need to have something meaningful to say. Um, how do you deal with that? Well, uh, it's a very good question because um, you have to have, uh, and and simply you don't know when you. When I applied, let's say over forty years ago now for the foreign service, uh, having finished or finishing my my history studies, I really didn't know that that it would entail all of this. So it's something that um, you have to have in your character somewhere. Uh, I have to be a little bit like a chameleon. Um, Take the local colors. um, Try to, without losing your personality, of course. And this is the friction you always have, combined with the fact that it's 24 hours a day. Because I had several times, for instance, at one or two in the morning on a Saturday night to a Sunday morning, 
that I got a call from The Hague, there is a crisis, can you intervene? Uh, twice mm -hmm. in, in Turkey, for instance, but also in, uh, in Greece, I had several of these moments. And uh, that is, uh, um, as you say, it's, it's tiring. At the same time, it gives you a lot of adrenaline if you have that disposition. That means you have to have this sort of flexibility, you have to be able to adapt uh, to a situation that you do not necessarily control. Mm -hmm. You know what language to use. Language is the only tool that diplomats have in the end, right? We, don't, yeah. we, do, not, uh, we do not have other means than language, international language, diplomatic language, sometimes very straightforward language, sometimes very protective language, mm -hmm. uh, hidden language. Um, so it's it's not uh, not always uh, always easy, but you have to to um, uh, to have something in your character that makes you you have to be, you have to be curious. Curious is extremely important. Curiosity. What 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 do others do? Where where can I where can I find information? Where can I do things? Um, I think that is extremely important. Uh, if you're not curious uh, as a character by character, then diplomacy will be a hard, uh, a hard uh, job for you. You have to also be able to improvise and uh, uh, be out of uh, regular schemes. So nine to five is all very nice. You, of course, if you're office, you have to do your paperwork and, and write reports and all these things. But you also have to be able to, to drop everything and then go somewhere uh, something is happening. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, short, short notice. So uh, very often you have to you have to have that in your character. So people that are uncomfortable with that, um, I think they will not be very happy in this type of career, in this type of life. Now, this is true for diplomacy, but I guess this is the same for people who are uh, representing companies or NGOs working outside as as expats as well. Yeah. Uh, it's not uh, limited to diplomacy, but diplomacy, of course, has this specific issue that you, you represent your country, and that is a different a, a different uh, league in the sense that you are protected by uh, agreements uh, dealing with immunity and things like that. So you you have to be able to do your job without the country in which you work is intervening in your work, because you have yeah. to have this this uh, impartiality vis-à-vis -vis that country. So um, uh, it's it's and you have to know how to deal with that, right? So, for instance, um, uh, uh, I don't know how how it, that was with you, but I've always been extremely cautious uh, driving my car. Mm. Uh, very easy to uh, to uh, to drive very fast and get a ticket and throw the ticket away, uh, because you know, as diplomats, uh, you can you can you could ignore it. Not not anymore, but there was a time that you could. I've always been extremely cautious with that, always, uh, and also with parking places and things like that. You know, don't don't uh, do things that enrage or make complicated the uh, relations with the country which you operate, because people already have these prejudices uh, against diplomats. So you have to be very cautious. You have to be also know your place. You have to be uh, humilde, as uh, as they say in Spanish. Um, uh, so uh, it's finding your and uh, finding that balance is is every time is different because every country is different, and um, so uh, maybe if I if I jump to 
to the next uh, uh, remark I can make about that. If you go somewhere as a diplomat or even as another expert, I think the most important thing is to get some notion of the language. Mm. Uh, the language is very important. Of course, everybody speaks English, certainly when you are a diplomat. Although when you yeah. go uh, down in the countryside, it's not obvious at all uh, yeah. to, uh, to, to to have somebody who helps you or at least um, do, do an effort yourself. But uh, knowing the language is important and maybe more important to know what is behind words because mm -hmm. very often words mean, even if you use the same word, it means something completely different from one to another. Yeah. Uh, I learned, for instance, in, in, in Greek, in Greece, when I was ambassador there between 2008 and 2012, that when you discuss an issue with a, uh, a Greek civil servant or a Greek politician, and you expect um, a negative answer, they will never say no. They will, they will, they will never do this. Yeah. They, they, the way to say no in, in, in Greek is to, uh, to simply react. So for the people who are listening, sorry, for the people who are listening to the podcast, because not everyone is watching the video, can you explain what you just did? I gave uh, I gave a upward movement of my head with a with a small noise of my tongue, um, meaning no, but uh, they would never say no, yeah. and um, so you have to to understand this type of language is a kind of anthropology. Uh, uh, communication. Uh, you, uh, for instance, in another country, in in Asia, very often I served in uh, in South Korea a long time ago. Um, the, uh, they, the they would never say no, for instance. And when they say yes, uh, it means not I agree with you. It means I I understand that you said something. These these are very yeah. simple. That many many people rec recognize, but you have to not only understand that that's what is meant, but also then make the translation on what you can do. Yeah. And some, sometimes some some person says yes, it means basically no. Uh, but that type of translation you have to be able to make. Um, I recall also that very often uh, legal situations are very different. I remember in in Korea a long time ago in the in the mid eighties. Uh, was a young uh, secretary in the trade department in the embassy there that uh, I had the visit of a Dutch businessman who had um, uh, uh, representing a, um, a factory in the Netherlands that produced a certain article and they had uh, engaged in a joint venture with a Korean company and uh, they had signed a contract um, and after some time the Korean company basically took over everything and uh, the Dutch company uh, complained, said that that's not in the contract. And uh, the problem was that um, came to us and I said, so what happened? And he said, yes, well, we, uh, we had this joint venture and I travel here once or twice a year to, to look from the Netherlands to look after our, our joint uh, production. And uh, they've basically uh, taken over everything and uh, I'm completely out of it now. So... As I said, so what, uh, you, you signed a contract. Yes, signed a contract. And uh, so so how did it work? Well, I, I showed the gentleman in question, the Korean gentleman in question, the contract. And then he started laughing and I said, yes, of course, that's a contract. 
But you know, um, I'd rather break my word than break my back because you know I have to run my own company. So it meant also that we have a very legal, legally minded society, legally minded, uh, uh, organized society in, 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 well, let's say Europe uh, or North America and most parts of the world. But in some parts of the world, uh, if you sign a contract, it's just a, a nice intention. But if the situation changes, then the contract can be changed as well. But the whole point is, of course, that you sign a contract in case things change. Because if things are okay, you don't have to change anything. You don't have to, to look after the contract. The contract is there to protect you when things change and to find solutions. So this was a typical example where a, uh, a Dutchman uh, with a Korean gentleman uh, uh, used the same words, but the meaning was completely different. And uh, from then on, I advised all Dutch people who came to the embassy to ask advice on uh, joint ventures and things like that, they said, always uh, station or detach somebody from your office in the Netherlands in that company, in particular uh, signing checks, mm. so that, that you have control over the money. And uh, I think that's what most of the companies do, and the big companies do it anyhow, but a small a uh, company of uh, maybe a few people in and make a certain thing. Uh, you know, it's a small or medium-sized industry. Um, they do something with uh, with a, com a company in Korea, and that in those days, eh? now things have completely changed because Korea is a member of the OECD and it's much much advanced country. But in those days, there was a lot of pioneering. Yeah, uh, those are lessons that you learn, and then you know you you share with uh, with the people that uh, that come in that country for the first time. So, but it took some time to find out that that's yeah, the way. How it works yeah very interesting i mean i think diplomacy is su such an inter uh, interesting career there's so much that you learn that you see the people that you meet um it really enriches your life and i've only worked at the ministry for seven years you've worked there i think you said for over 40 years no, um, yeah um i know for myself that i it's still part of my identity in a way um, it was hard letting go of that career. I can only imagine when your entire career has been spent there. So I'm also really curious to know for you, um, how did your career as a diplomat, as an ambassador form you? Uh, how do you look back on your career? Ah, okay. Um, well, first of all, I think um, um, with hindsight, I think I wouldn't have done something else. You know, you have some situations say, well, I've done this, but I'd rather be maybe a professor or mm -hmm. teacher, something, or maybe in business or something else. I don't think I would have uh, chosen another path. Um, <clears throat> the, um, um, it's, so in that sense, uh, it, it, it has formed me. Um, I think, uh, I have learned to, and you alluded to that in your introduction, I have learned to always, when I talk to people, or I meet people for the first time, uh, to uh, not to make a judgment too quickly, to wait a little bit. Sometimes you meet people that you think at first sight, well, I don't think I, I relate very much to that person, his ideas, her ideas. Um, but then if you wait a little bit, uh, you take some time, and then all of a sudden you see that 
you know, you made a mistake and there may be something else behind mm -hmm. that person that make it interesting or different. So uh, patience, uh, I think that's important. Not take a judgment too quickly. Think out of your natural habitat. Of course, we are very comfortable here in this part of the Netherlands, this part of Europe. Yeah. But it's always good to uh, to look at the bigger picture and that things um, very rarely uh, come to you automatically. You have to work for it. Mm -hmm. Things stay, stay as they are, or you can even improve them. Um, th these are things that I think have formed me and uh, that uh, never take things for granted in the sense that uh, we have this... Uh, Fantastic country, rule of law. Of course, there are problems. Problems, by the way, that I encounter in the Netherlands. And I, I'm sure there are big problems in the sense of uh, the uh, the limits of growth, uh, climate, uh, all these things. I'm, I'm sure that these are big problems. But comparing to the problems that are challenges in some of the countries where I worked and lived, mm -hmm. peanuts, we live in a paradise. Yes. And every time I return to the Netherlands from a faraway country, uh, where, of course, I was always in a kind of privileged situation as a diplomat, and you come back to the Netherlands and say, what, what a fantastic country. But that's not always how it's perceived by the people that live here permanently, of yeah. course. We I know. recognize that, yeah. <laughs> yeah? Exactly. So um, these are... Uh, these are things that forms you over the years um, and that make you a bit more cautious uh, uh, about things and also where where the real challenges are. Um, very often, um, and you see that, of course, also in our own uh, uh, political environment in this country, uh, where uh, people are extremely excited about certain things, for instance, in our, in our parliament, and that you think, but why are they not discussing this or that, um, right? So it's it's uh, which is a bit much bigger problem um, now relating to uh, I don't know Ukraine or uh, things like that. So it's uh, very often uh, gives you a, a different perspective, not a better perspective, but a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, I totally relate to that. Um, I think I especially saw it during the Corona crisis where so many people here in the Netherlands were just complaining about our government, not wanting to take the vaccinations. And, you know, I respect everyone's decision, but I also thought, but you don't live in a country where there's no place for you in the hospitals anymore, where they run out of oxygen. Um, we both, uh, were in Brazil when the Corona crisis hit, we lost a colleague, uh, to Corona as well. Um, so we've definitely seen another side of it. And it's, yeah, not everyone sees it that way if you've only lived uh, in the same country, in, in a paradise country. So yep. yeah. it took some, uh, it took some um, let's say, uh, some effort to, uh, to convince people back in The Hague that uh, the situation was uh, extremely dramatic when we were there. Um, and it took some time before we could take the proper measures by having uh, the proper vaccination, as you recall. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you were already gone by then. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, no, this was uh, a, uh, not, not very easy to, um, to, to deal with. Um, and, but in the end, uh, I think uh, 
uh, if you push hard enough, <laughs> they, uh, they came with the right solution. But um, uh, no, definitely. And uh, uh, the, um, uh, I recall the, um, uh, well, let's say in, in particular also uh, when the number of flights were reduced, mm. at 17 flights a week from Brazil to and, and, and from the Netherlands, um, at one stage there were two and only cargo, uh, no, no passengers. And that gives you a very, uh, very strange feeling because that means you cannot go back when you want to go back. Yeah. And uh, uh, but that was a very critical, critical moment. You have to deal with that. I think we had to. You, you were already gone by then. You were still there, I think. Um, but you have to. Um, well, with the team in the embassy in a crisis like that, uh, you have to to keep calm. Yeah. Certainly, as a, as the leader of the pack, um, because everybody's very nervous about it. People were confined to their houses, very often apartments uh, in Brasilia, which is not not, not such an easy city uh, at all. Um, so to keep the spirits up, uh, well, this was quite a challenge. But in the end, uh, I think we all did well. Uh, we we lost a colleague, as you said, which was a uh, uh, traumatic. Um, but uh, uh, and then we took the proper measures by giving uh, the right uh, vaccination, um, not only to uh, the diplomats, but also to all the local staff and in living families. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, extremely important to keep the spirit um, together and to uh, to give the confidence that uh, that we were dealing with that in the proper way. Yeah, and this is actually something else that you say, like, you're the leader of the pack. And, um, you know, when I was li living and working in Brazil, I felt a big responsibility for my work and also for my actions. But I always knew, like, I'm under your wing in the end. Uh, I'm under your responsibility. But I can imagine if you are the ambassador, it all comes down to you. You have yeah. to take the proper decisions. And also, you start somewhere new all the time where you don't have that strong connection with co colleagues yet. You don't know how much you can trust them. Um, I can imagine that's a challenge again and again. How is that for you? Or was that for you? That's true. Uh, as a ambassador, I served uh, four times in uh, Greece, Spain, Turkey, and uh, Brazil, uh, and in the ministry once, because I was a director there, um, European Union department. So, um, well, um, of course you, you, you build up, because every time in the career previous, you being the boss, right? You, you make every time you go up a little bit higher, get a little bit more responsibility. And at one stage, you are the one who has to take the responsibility. Um, of course, this is not a, uh, a carte blanche because you operate within all kinds of limits and uh, rules and balances and checks. Uh, you know, uh, that's the, the, the Dutch, uh, the Dutch civil service. It's based on certain values and rules. So you always operate within that. Um, but in the end, uh, you know, you have to find your, your, own, your own balance in, uh, in that new situation. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, well, um, you, when you, when, when I was appointed for the first time as an ambassador uh, to Greece, I recall very well that I had basically no idea 
um, you know, how, how the situation would be. So the first thing you do is you start reading about, uh, about Greece, uh, simply uh, history, society, what are the challenges. You start talking to people. So I uh, talked to my predecessor. I visited him before I went. I could do that from The Hague because Greece is not so far away. Yeah. To see how the residence, the house where the ambassador lives, how that was. Um, how do you operate here? What is the what are the, the basic habits? Because every country has its own ways. Uh, how's the security? Things like that. Schools. In this case, we still had our youngest daughter, who in the end chose to stay in the Netherlands, but uh, she could have come with us. So you have to 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 find out what the situation is. What is the context in which you operate? The the, the physical context. And then, of course, there is uh, uh, you know what what are the challenges? What are you going to do? So you talk to the specialists in the ministry. You talk to other ministries. You talk to in my case, the Greek ambassador in The Hague. Uh, so very slowly, there's a, a, a picture emerging from that. And then you get a, a kind of general instruction from your ministry, usually from, from the minister or on his behalf, by a uh, other civil servant who deals with that part of the world. And you get a, a set of instructions, global instructions. You know, this is what you're supposed to do in the next three, four years. We would like you to achieve this and this and this. Um, but those are usually things in very general terms, mm. right? These are promote good relations, make sure there are yeah. uh, there are uh, uh, regular contacts, uh, things like that. Uh, sometimes a specific issue, if, if there is a specific issue, which is not always the case. And uh, so I found out, uh, well, that's all very nice. But then within half a year, I could throw it away because there was an enormous crisis in the Eurozone that nobody really understood what was going on because we were we were confronted with a, a huge crisis, a budgetary crisis in Greece, which was contaminating to the rest of the Eurozone in terms of uh, the, the strength of the Euro, in terms of uh, budget discipline um, and trust, basically. So these were completely uncharted waters. Um, and nobody knew anything about this, not, not even the ministers of finance in other Eurozone countries like the Netherlands. So how do you how do you operate? So you start improvising because there are no rules for this. So you start talking left, right, start to find out what's going on. Um, in my case, in the Greek case, I had the, um, the advantage that I had been working a lot in European structures before. And um, under my guard, when I was director of integration Europe, I assisted uh, my other colleagues and, and uh, the ministers and the prime minister to renegotiate the treaty that became the Treaty of Lisbon. That's something that we operate under the Treaty of Lisbon right now. Um, and also where a number of decisions were taken on um, uh, also earlier on under the Treaty of Maastricht, Treaties of Amsterdam, uh, that the uh, European Central Bank, what they were doing, uh, how the, let's say, the overall structure was working. So I knew about that. I'd worked for, for many, many years in Brussels uh, in, those, in, those, uh, in the context of those issues. So when this crisis happened in Greece, which contaminated very quickly to the rest of the Eurozone, where it became a big problem for everybody, I had some advantage vis-a-vis uh, -vis my other European colleagues who were mostly uh, bilateral specialists 
not having worked with European structures. So I knew my, my way very quickly. And uh, so I could find a way to help the Netherlands, the Netherlands government, in particular the Minister of Finance, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Foreign Affairs and, and the State Secretary of Foreign Affairs, to, uh, to deal with, uh, with the politics of this issue, whereby, for instance, I discovered that Greek uh, representatives abroad in Brussels or other places, they would give a certain uh, explanation or a certain, a certain context to what was going on, whereas in home politics in Greece, there was a completely different dynamic. And I could explain the internal dynamic to my friends in The Hague or in Brussels to say, well, uh, they say this in Brussels, but the situation in Greece actually is, is quite challenging because it has other issues. And so th this is what diplomats also do. They try to, to look uh, beyond the news, beyond the, the specific issue of news reporting. Diplomats try to scratch under that surface yeah. and would report on those things that you cannot Google. And this was my definition for reports that I always try to do political reporting back home about the motives, about the undercurrents in the country in question when it's about the broad movement, the broad decisions that would be taken, and particularly in a situation of a crisis, of course, because in a normal situation, you don't have to deal too much with that, but in a crisis situation, you have to, that you see uh, things or you hear things, and that's why you are a diplomat. You, know, you have to find out things that others may not find in the public domain so quickly, uh, including journalists that you would then use and anal analyze uh, in a proper way for your authorities things that cannot be read in another newspaper. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what I also said to the ministry. I will not overburden you, with, uh, overburden you with all kinds of political reports. I will not copy things from, the, from newspapers because you can read the newspapers. I will only write to you when I have something that you cannot possibly Google. And that's how that's how it worked very often. Now, as I said, and coming back to your earlier question, what do you do to prepare when, when you go to a foreign country? Well, you can prepare for everything, but this happened and it had nothing to do with all the preparations I did. Yeah. You see? And the same thing in a way was true for Greece when we were confronted with, or sorry, with Turkey, uh, when we were confronted with this huge uh, migration uh, challenge from theory, Syria. To what eventually became the, uh, the the Turkey migration deal, extremely complicated, politically very complicated. Um, we happened to be in the uh, in the presidency of the rotating presidency of the EU, which means much less today than it used to mean in the past. But still, it it plays a certain role, um, and uh, so you have to be very creative. Um, to find proper ways to to deal with such a, a sudden a sudden crisis, and I've had these situations whereby consular situations, consular challenges, uh, two of them in Greece, where basically you have never been trained to deal with it, but you grab the uh, you grab the situation, you, you you try to improvise. I had one case. I can uh, tell that one case of a Dutch journalist who was uh, arrested. And it's always on a Saturday night at two in the morning. So they call, call you from your bed. 
the person in question had the phone number from my predecessor. So Goldsmith said, I'm in a police station somewhere in the south southeast of Turkey. And uh, they're keeping me here and all that. Well, so long story. Um, I tried to um, to talk to the authorities and all that, but no, she was kept there. Uh, there was a crisis for a number of days, but I happened to be a few days later uh, in uh, Konya, which is a city in the in the sort of southern Anatolia, um, where which is city of origin of the then prime minister Davutoglu. So this was his his electoral turf. And there was an interland football between the two national teams of the Netherlands and Turkey, a friendship uh, tournament. And I, uh, I was leading a, uh, it was in my first two weeks, I was leading a small trade delegation there, but and we would all go to the football match. And I was sitting, you know, in the same uh, tribune, how do you call that, the same same seating where the, the prime minister was also. But I, I didn't have not yet formally presented my credentials to President Erdogan at the time. So you have to wait until you present your credentials before you can operate fully as an ambassador. Um, so um, we were I was dealing with this issue with the journalists. And I said to the Hague, well, uh, I'm sitting in this football match. I'm sitting very close to Mr. Prime Minister Davutoglu. I can try to, you know, to talk to him. Oh, please, can you do this? The Hague said, please do. And so. So I, uh, I asked my, uh, uh, my, I had the translator with me from the embassy and I said, uh, can you talk to one of the advisors of Mr. Davutola so that I can greet him during the, the pause, right, the, the entract. And I said, yeah, well, there are all kinds of uh, security people surrounding him. I said, yes, but there's one with glasses. So maybe he's uh, like a more an advisor, people with glasses, you know, they're not a boxer. Uh, talk to him and uh, talk like this and he gave me a, a thumbs up okay you can talk to the prime minister during the, the pause and that's what I did so he uh, came to me and said I hear you are the new ambassador and at that stage uh, the Turkish team was leading three to one and uh, everybody in the stadium was very happy the Dutch people were not happy but everybody was very happy in the Turkish side so the prime minister said, you know, uh, ambassador, very welcome. And I said, uh, can I congratulate you? You're leading 3-1. What a fantastic team. What an atmosphere in the stadium. And you're fantastic uh, supporters who are uh, uh, very positive. And then he said, uh, yes, indeed, uh, ambassador, I'm very happy. You can ask me anything. So I said, yeah, I have this one, uh, one issue with the journalist. Uh, his face then was a little bit more serious. And he said, mm-mm. Wrong person, wrong time, wrong everything. Well, it was a long story. Uh, but then I said, you know, her family is very worried. Um, I improvised. I said, I, I didn't know. Uh, uh, is there something that we can we can tell the family that things are going to be okay? Instead of doing making a more political issue about the issue why she was arrested, right? Yeah. So I tried to see it in a more human way. And then he looked at me and he said, okay. Um, my office will contact you in the coming days. Uh, have a have a nice time here, Ambassador. Uh, look forward to meeting you again, blah, blah, blah. So we sit out. In the end, they won 4-1. Um, I was the only person in the entire stadium, being Dutch, who was very happy that we had lost because that had given me a more positive feeling or he had a more positive feeling, uh, you know, in his electoral situation yeah. where that helped him, of course, and that maybe helped a little bit be him, uh, him wanting to be generous to me in a way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know. 
but the question, the, the, the situation is that a few days later, um, she, she uh, came out of that prison and she was sent back to the Netherlands uh, on a plane. Um, now, this is, and, and the ministry in The Hague was extremely happy that it had been dealt with. This is something you do not learn from a book. This is yeah. just by, this is improvisation, but it's not improvisation like you would do on the first day you stepped into the ministry and said, I'm going to be a diplomat. This is also the unsaid development in your own character, understanding of how relations work between governments over a long period of, I don't know, 20, 25 years before. Yeah. Never tested. And now it was tested. Mm. I don't know if it made a difference, but I would not have been able to do that if I would have been a very junior, not yeah. in the same. Yeah. You see? So these are things that uh, you do not learn you cannot never get an instruction for you can you don't have the time to call for an instruction no you don't want instruction because you want to solve this issue yeah right and I had a second a second case that was a uh, uh, more famous case uh, uh, which has also been in the press by the uh, uh, Dutch uh, Dutch Turkish uh, citizen Ebu Umar the uh, journalist that is a similar situation but uh, it, it's um, so these are these are the things that you are uh, trained for to solve without ever being tested. Yeah. And then when the moment arrives, it can be a success or it can be a failure. And you have to deal with failures as well, because very often in diplomacy, you have failures or you have things that you simply cannot fix. It just is not possible. Yeah. And uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's not only successes. Because you like, of course, everybody likes successes. You like to solve, you like to put a tick behind the box. I've solved that issue. But very often things simply don't work. Yeah, it's true. We also need to deal with that. Yeah. In case maybe, um, you know, I can listen to your diplomacy and ambassador stories for hours, I think. But maybe on the more personal side, um, you've lived in, let me think, about seven countries uh, as a diplomat. So, you know, you, you go there for a couple of years, three to four years usually. What was it like to start over again and again on the more personal side with your family, with your kids? Um, and the last one or the last few ones were without your kids as well. Can you share something well, about that? Uh, always a challenge. And I've also learned that uh, for uh, uh, families, this is not so easy. Uh, you have many advantages as a diplomat. Um uh, you have, we are with your partner, you're with your children. Um, it's not always the case that children uh, like to move every couple of years. Uh, some children are, uh, are very suited for this. You know, they always make friends. Um, but some children don't like that at all. And they have to, um, they need more continuity, more, um, more permanent base to uh, to work from, to live from, uh, schools, friends, and so on. So um, this is not always easy. And this is also why uh, very often you hear about children of diplomats who went to different schools and who have then some problems uh, adapting when they're back in the Netherlands. Uh, not all of them, but uh, very often this this is the case. Uh, this is the this is the downside of this uh, life. Mm -hmm. And you always have to 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 look while you are uh, moving around in the world. Um, 
uh, how you can combine the, the, the work with that type of situation. I was lucky and privileged in a way that uh, when the, uh, after the two postings in uh, South Korea and in Peru, uh, we were sent to Brussels for a um, for a period, and then we were sent back to the Netherlands, and then back to Brussels, and then back to the Netherlands. That means that in terms of schooling, it was more or less continuous. They went to the twice to the same school in Brussels, and they also went to to, to the schools here in The Hague. Uh, which gave them a more permanent base and so a better preparation uh, for when they uh, went to uh, to Dutch universities, all three of them, uh, my, my three children. So um, in that sense, I was lucky. But I've also heard uh, numerous stories about moving from one school to another and you know, really having a, a hard time when you come back to the Netherlands. When you come back to the Netherlands as a child, uh, you know, if you've always worked, lived, uh, went to schools, international schools, with all kinds of nationalities in, a, in another country, you, you, are, you have a kind of um, carefulness when you deal with people as a child also. But here in the Netherlands, people are extremely direct and sometimes brutal vis-a-vis yeah. uh, -vis each other, uh, very outspoken. Um, and uh, that gives sometimes a shock when you come back uh, in the first uh, period. Then, of course, you adapt and you know how things work. But I recall this because I, I was raised myself abroad, mm. um, lived in my youth, I lived abroad, and I came back to the Netherlands to study, and it really took me uh, up, up to a year before I, I, I understood the, the, Dutch, the Dutch more direct environment. And then you, you deal with it. But um, so this is not uh, not a, um, uh, a situation that's always easy, and you have children that really have difficulties with it. And then, of course, you have you know you have to find solutions for that. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's uh, quite um, uh, challenging from yeah. that point of view. Uh, of course, of course, also with a partner, it's not always easy. We we uh, lived in um, in countries where it was very difficult for partners to uh, to find a job. Mm -hmm. As a partner, you can only find a job if there's a bilateral agreement between the two countries that would allow uh, a partner with her or his uh, professional uh, background to work in certain areas. And very often this is extremely limited or simply prohibited because you are seen as a danger in the labor market of the country yeah. in question. So uh, this is not always easy. Yeah. And... For yourself, I mean, uh, you grew up living in different countries, so I can imagine it's pretty easy for you to, you know, move abroad again to build up a new life somewhere, especially with your partner as a rock by your side. Um, what are some of the challenges that you faced for you personally throughout your career? Uh, because I also know that you had a hard time in Turkey when there was a, a very strong political situation um, and the Turkish government declared you persona non grata, if I'm not mistaken. How was that for you to deal with on a personal note? Well, these are uh, this is what I said in the referred to earlier on that uh, not everything is a is a success or a victory. Yeah. And something to do with you, but you're simply the pawn in a in a bigger game. Uh, so this was a very frustrating situation. Well. Uh, the funny thing was, uh, I was never declared properly persona non grata. The effect mm -hmm. was 
but I was never properly declared persona non grata. It was said uh, after that crisis between uh, Turkey and the Netherlands in, in Rotterdam in, um, in, in March um, uh, 2017. It was uh, basically said uh, Ambassador Van Rij uh, should not come back to Turkey for the time being. Mm. In other words, until a solution is found, until uh, apologies were presented to the Turkish government that the Dutch government was never going to present for the things that the Turkish ministers did in Rotterdam, right? But that's mm -hmm. a the um, so you are you are then all of a sudden um, out of your uh, area of uh, well comfort zone is not the right word, but uh, you, you 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 cannot do the work you're supposed to. Do. Of course, I stayed on as ambassador, but I was operating like we do today, uh, by Zoom every yeah. day. I was talking to my team from The Hague, because I was in The Hague at the moment the crisis erupted, talking to my team, the management team in the embassy in Ankara, and uh, take the solutions, because the government refused to withdraw me. And uh, that situation took about a year. Now, in the beginning, this was a kind of overwhelming situation, because what's going on, yeah. all my all my belongings are there, yeah. including clothes, uh, books, uh, personal belongings, and I was not uh, allowed to, to return. So uh, without uh, being called off as a persona non grata, because yeah. then I would have moved everything out. But this was mm. the kind of between situation that took up to a year. And so um, uh, in the uh, uh, that was a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, then it's important that you have um, uh, another er issue that you have as a diplomat, what you need to have, you have to be resistant and have a very thick skin. It's yeah. very big. In other words, you have to be uh, confident in yourself uh, up to a certain degree. Said, okay, this is this is happening. It's not my mistake, but I'm. Everybody looks at me, and uh, what can I do about it? So, I uh, I got a lot of support from the ministry. They they helped me there uh, to to deal with the situation. I uh, had some support in the ministry to to do my job as an ambassador uh, yeah. with, um, and of course at the, at the same time uh, uh, some of my colleagues were negotiating a way out. Um, but it was an uncomfortable situation, and um, we uh, we fortunately had um, uh, our apartment here in the Hague, which we always kept as a place where we could come back for holidays. Uh, so I didn't have to stay in a hotel room for a year. Yeah. So I could stay in our own apartment. And they were very helpful that I could get out things of the, you know, I had so, uh, all kinds of furniture in stock in, um, in a reserve here, um, in, a, in a depository. And uh, I was able to take things out, which under the rules was not always possible. But all these things, they were very helpful. And that helps, of course, when you get the institutional support. Yeah. But uh, I'm, uh, it was an uncomfortable situation, of course, and yeah. certainly you you feel powerless. You cannot do, you cannot move, you cannot do your work in a proper way. At the same time, you have to uh, to keep a stiff upper lip and uh, keep the people motivating who are sitting there on the other side. Right? Yeah, and also, yeah, yeah. You know, I had to be, I had to give the the right example. So that sometimes is uh, is uncomfortable and uh, goes against your nature because you want to become very angry. Yeah. And and it doesn't work, right? So yeah. you have to do that. So at the same time, of course, the uh, the ministry found me a um, 
a temporary job that I could combine with the um, the, the persona non grata situation, which was ambassador, roving ambassador, ambassador at large. So I did all kinds of interesting trips and uh, negotiations on behalf of the government, um, political negotiations with uh, with Brazil, with uh, with uh, Peru, and with tu uh, Tunisia. I did uh, negotiations with the uh, OAS. In, uh, in Mexico and uh, well, dif different other jobs. Um, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't bored. So that was very nice. They could have no, said, well, just wait, but they, they, so they helped me with an activity that I, that was in line with, uh, let's say my, my experiences and my yeah. capabilities. So that was good. It was a, a good support, institutional support from the ministry. So um, that, that's what the situation was, but it's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, the, down, the the upside of this was, of course, that we were for a full year in The Hague, a little bit over a year in The Hague, so we could see our children much more often, you see? So that, that there's always the other side of the story as well. Yeah, it's always a bright side, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe uh, because we are talking now for, I think, over an hour already, but maybe two questions to round up. Yeah. Uh, something that is really... Um, yeah, close to my heart is my was my homecoming back to the Netherlands after Brazil. For me, it was quite tough. Um, it was a reverse culture shock. Um, it took me a full year, I think, to overcome that. And how is that for you now that you're also retired and you're not doing the job anymore? You're not going abroad as an ambassador anymore. How was your homecoming for you? Um, well, uh, after Brazil, Brazil, uh, my last posting was about three years, and of course, that had been heavily marked by the uh, combination of um, the political situation in Brazil. We have President Bolsonaro. Um, uh, that was politically complicated because the, let's say the the the, the, the usually rather fluid relationship. Uh, with many countries in Europe was more complicated for the for the political reasons of the nature of that government. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mean we had very good relations with civil servants and also with politicians, but between governments it was more and more complicated. This is this was one context. The other context was uh, the COVID, uh, the Corona epidemic, which meant that um, when I came back, basically we were, we were sort of the high point, the high level of the of the COVID, uh, we were getting out of the COVID curve, but it was still extremely, um, you had to be very cautious. So uh, I came back uh, in a situation already of a, of a certain crisis. We had just lost, lost the colleague that you referred to earlier on. Uh, I was downgrading the embassy, only the non-essential staff had already been sent back today because there was a congestion in the, in the, in the, um, in the health sector. And, uh, uh, in Brazil, uh, so we were operating in a crisis mode. So under those circumstances, I traveled back, and uh, then you arrive in the Netherlands, and everything is relatively normal. Although we were all getting out of the the Corona, uh, let's say, the Corona habit, but still very cautious, of course. Um, but everything was very well organized. When you come back, you see all these things that you that make this country. Uh, a paradise, as I've said earlier. Yeah. At the same time, um, you have a lot of adrenaline in a crisis situation, and the adrenaline was leading up. So I, I remember I was pretty tired when I came back. So you have a kind of general tiredness in, yeah. the, in, the, in the first weeks, but uh, you know, ca caught up quickly. I never had this problem of the black hole that sometimes they refer to. 
you know, when you when you have worked very hard and you retire and then all of a sudden you stop and then there's mm -hmm. nothing. Else. I never had that because I've always had sufficient uh, energy outside my proper work as a historian, reading and, and talking to people and, um, you know, following things. So um, I have a, a large uh, group of friends uh, also here in The Hague, but in, in international. So I was uh, never, never a problem there. But um, uh, you know, you have to you have to go to a uh, to a different rhythm. Uh, it's important to have when you come back uh, to build up a new rhythm, um, a new routine. As I said, you know, in the mornings I uh, I work a little bit on my computer. I do emails. I look follow the news, um, and then very often uh, I go and have lunch with uh, with some old friends um, to catch up. Um, I caught uh, I, I've. I've, uh, you know, renewed some of my old friendships of uh, when the time I was studying history. Um, so things like that. And uh, uh, at one stage, uh, I was uh, invited by the The Hague Center for Strategic Studies to help them as a strategic advisor, uh, also giving briefings to uh, to uh, to the Dutch press on certain issues when they request a comment from the HCSS. Now, this is not a nine to five job, but it's nice. And it uh, it puts you in a in a fraternity of people or a sorority of people who uh, who uh, deal with international issues, which after all is has been a lot of my life in the last forty years. So this is one thing. Of course, very important is that um, my wife and I we had also to find the balance because mm. we are living together. Uh, we see each other uh, most of the day, and my wife uh, finally uh, found found a job. Uh, she says, "Okay, my turn." Yeah, I like that. <laughs> she works here now in the in the health sector, and um, uh, so we we have both adapted to the new situation. We see our children more often, our grandchildren. We have three grandchildren, so um, uh, you you cope with that. But um, it's um, it, ta it takes a little time to make the conversion. But in the end, I never had too much of a problem there. Mm. And yeah. I've been. In writing a little bit for myself and uh, um, trying to to work with um, with some of the experiences that I have as an international negotiator, so I give some speeches and presentations to students and others on um, on being a diplomat. Nice. So you keep yourself busy still. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So the last question that I ask to all my uh, guests on the show, and that is what. Uh, tip or hack do you have to make living or traveling abroad easier? Well, uh, I would say uh, um, when you when you go and live somewhere far away abroad, um, start with the the disposition that things are are different. Um, they sometimes say this famous phrase. Um, the past is a different country. They do things differently there. Mm -hmm. uh, famous, uh, famous opening line of uh, the book uh, being there. Um, this is. You can also say um, uh, living living abroad is really a different thing. They do really things differently there. Uh, that means you have to start with an open mind. Forget about many of the things. Uh, you deal with in the Netherlands, in our case. Um, 
forget about a lot of that and and, and leave with an open mind and yeah. don't saying I'm going to implement my own norms in this society where I'm going to live for the next four, five, six, ten years. Start with an open mind. And as I said earlier on in the beginning, be curious. Try to, when you meet people abroad, don't take positions too quickly. Wait a little bit. And when you discuss certain issues, uh, try to understand why that person is using those pictures or those images giving you a message. Uh, listen very carefully to the words. Listen very carefully to what the other people say when you meet them, even in very parochial things and very simple things. It's not always the deep uh, issues of life. It can be very small signals. Have, so have an open mind and be curious. I think those are the two most important things that uh, you have to take with you as a diplomat or as an expert, I would say. I like it a lot. Thank you so much for sharing. Case, very, uh, I'm really glad that you were on the show. Thank you so much. Um, I loved hearing about your diplomacy career, your experience as an ambassador. I'm sure it's very relevant and interesting for the people listening too. I know there are sometimes people listening who also want to pursue a career in diplomacy. So this might be very useful for them too. So thank you so much. And I'm sure I will see you again. Uh, but for now, thank you. Thank you very much, Amanda. And good luck with your work. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.